All right, what is happening, party people? It is the Wind Up Podcast. I am your host, Mike of MTGA Wines, and it is our December question and answer episode. To finish out the year, we're diving into a handful of your questions, questions that we received in the cellar, online, whether you slid into our DMs, um, submitted them through our website, any one of those is how we came across these. If you want your question answered, uh, be sure to do any one of those things. Comment on our videos on YouTube. Uh, send us a message through any of our social media network things, whatever, at MTGA Wines on the Book of Face, Instagram, and the social network formerly known as Twitter. You can also go to our website, scroll down to the bottom. There's a little form there. Fill that out with the question that you have and just send it right into us, and we'll dive right into it. This is a fun one. We've got some really good questions, some that are very fun and interesting, others that are a little bit more of a deep dive into kind of what is going on in Napa currently as we head into a brand new year and a brand new season. Uh, very excited to dive into these. So um, I will have timestamps for all these down below in the description along with the questions. So if there's anything in particular that you're interested in, you can just fast forward and you know go through this as you see fit. Now, uh, before I get into it, I've been battling hopefully what's not going to be a sore throat. So if you hear a little pause for a little drink of water or something, that's just what I'm doing. It's been a little scratchy, so I'm trying to make sure that I'm like hydrating, doing all the things and making sure that we're doing all right. So you might hear it like mute and like cut out for a quick second uh, and then I'll be right back. I promise you. I promise you. And that was one of those moments right there because I got my water bottle sitting here right next to me. All right. So to get things kicked off is just a fun, easy one. What is your favorite holiday wine pairing? Now, you know, there are so many different options when you're doing this, right? There's so many different traditions out there, so many different wines. Uh, you know, for our family in particular, on pretty much every side of the family, we have some combination, uh, whether it's the in-laws, my immediate family, it's some combination of like red meat, like our roast, roast, we always call it roast beast, you know, as, you know, the Grinch stole Christmas did. Um, but roast beef or prime rib, sometimes some lasagnas in that mix. Um, there's always a couple of pies and like great desserts as well. And, you know, immediately you start thinking, you know, like Bordeaux varieties, especially with your red meat, you know, whether it's coming from France, whether it's something like an older Napa vintage, because they're not super intense in terms of flavors, like a little softer, a little easier going. Uh, but I ignore all of that, to be completely honest. My go-to, number one of all time, without question, it is head and shoulders above anything else. And it's super bougie, but it's champagne and caviar. Great sparkling wine and caviar, teach their own, whatever you prefer. But there is nothing quite like getting a holiday party started with a little bit of bubbly and a, and a caviar bump. Like, let's be honest. And if you don't know what a caviar bump is, look it up, figure it out. It's worth your time. Uh, there's just something about it. It's 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 hard to have a bad time when you're drinking bubbles. It really is, right? There's just no two ways around it. That if you are having a party, bubbles are the way to go because it gets they're festive, they're bright, they're exciting. Even if you're not a big fan of bubbles, they're amazing to serve to your guests. You hear the pop of the cork coming out of those things, and it's just it sets the tone for the rest of the evening and everything that you got going on. From there, you dive into your lighter, you know, your some whites, maybe lighter reds, and your big reds as the night goes on. You kind of follow that nice order of operations. But realistically, it's really, really hard 
to argue with champagne and caviar to get the night started. Now, I've, I'm definitely a sucker for great champagne. You know, the yeastiness, the creaminess of it, it's just outstanding. I think it's a head and shoulders above kind of any other sparkling producer out there in terms of country or region. That's just my own two cents. Uh, we do have... Uh, uh, my soon-to-be sister-in-law, who make works for Domaine Chandon out here in Napa, so we do drink a lot of Chandon. Um, you know, French producer, but they have their California arm here. Uh, you know, we don't really go too far into like Prosecco or Cava or anything like that. Um, so it's a lot of California, you know, Napa sparkling wine uh, and just proper champagne from France. That's pretty much where I hang my hat when it comes to holiday pairings. It's pretty hard. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're celebrating Festivus, Christmas, Hanukkah, you know, anything you got going on and a party's being had, champagne or sparkling wine fits the bill. It's really hard to go wrong. It's an ace in the hole. It's festive. I mean, it, if you're going to tell me that that's not a great thing to have around during the holidays, you're wrong. And that's okay. We're all wrong sometimes. You know what I mean? But champagne is the way to go. And if you happen to have some of those delicious little salty nuggets of caviar laying around, it is bougie and it's indulgent and it's rich and it's like just the best. It's just the best. Sorry, you're not going to convince me otherwise. There's a lot of other great wines, a lot of other pairings out there. But if you're kicking off a holiday party and the holiday festivities, that's the only way to go in my honest opinion. That's got to be the way to go. So with the new year right around the corner, just a few days away from when we're posting this podcast, there's still time. Go get yourself a bottle of bub Bubby and some fish eggs and have at it. It's going to be awesome. I promise. <laughs> um, all right. <laughs> it's just, it, it's so clean and simple and I love it so, so much. Um, and it's just, oh, it's just so good. It's just so good. All right. On to the next one. That was just a quick and easy one. That one. The, the food pairing questions are always fun because I try and I always like stuff that maybe that's not like super different or off the wall, but you always think of like the big hearty meal, right? And what's going to pair with like the main course. I'm like, no, no, no. What are we getting this party started with? Like what's setting the tone? That's what I want to know. You know what I mean? All right. Next question. What are winemakers doing during this off season after a harvest? You've mentioned a few times that it is a little quieter around the winery, around the vineyards this time of year. How do you all keep yourselves busy? Uh, listen, there's still plenty of work to be done. Uh, if you do follow us on any of the social networks that I mentioned uh, at the beginning of the episode here, uh, you've seen some of the posts in terms of what we're doing in the cellar. It's a lot of topping, just making sure our barrels are nice and full so there's not too much oxygen exposure happening in those, uh, keeping them nice and clean and tidy. Uh, there's a lot of barrel tasting for quality control just to make sure that everything's kind of on the right track. Um, I'm in the midst of getting everything lined up for a bottling run at the beginning of March. Basically, it's already all lined up. It's just logistically making sure right now that everything is going to get delivered on time when we need it so that we can actually make it happen. Uh, there, there's a lot of back end stuff. There's a lot of paperwork I'm doing. There's a lot of reports I have to fill out. There's a lot of, you know, checks I got to cut to different stupid alphabet agencies right now um, that require us to pay certain things for certain things like even just to process grapes i have to to, to ha i have to have a permit to process grapes you think that would be included in like the oh you're making wine that probably should just be rolled up into that no it's a completely like separate thing whatever i guess handling produce so you, you have to have a special thing for in this line of work i had no idea uh, but here we are 
Um, so there's a lot of like just random admin stuff like that, you know, and the admin stuff, you know, like that paperwork and permitting and the fees and stuff you got to pay. That's all the really boring stuff. I spent a lot of time here at the home office knocking all that out. Uh, the time that I'm spending at the winery are just that QC. It's a lot of topping of barrels. It's a lot of tasting. And realistically, what we're looking for as you know, winemakers and professionals in the cellar at this point of time is just making sure that things are on the right track. If we have a bottling run coming around the corner, uh, like we do uh, coming up, you know, it's a lot of making sure that those wines are going to be ready. You know, some of our white wines and rosés, they've been in barrel only for a couple of months. Uh, those are some of the wines that are getting bottled at the beginning of March. Uh, we have a couple of red wines as well that have been aging for about 18 months up to about two and a half years, actually, uh, in barrel that are also going to be getting bottled. So there's a lot of stuff kind of coming to a head. It's a relatively small bottling run, actually. It's only a few hundred cases. Uh, but it's enough that it's still kind of a chore to get through. I think we're bottling basically, um, you know, it's going to be a little less than half of what our overall production is. You know, we're talking around four or 500 cases or so because we do about 1,000 or 1,200 cases. So, you know, any bottling one we do is pretty small typically. Uh, but this one's a lot of small lots. It's kind of broken up into a bunch of really small different sections. So even though it's not that much wine, it still takes a full day. There's a lot of different bottles. There's a lot of different labels. Uh, there's a lot of different enclosures that we're using. Uh, there's just all kinds of like little moving parts. So during this off season, it's a lot of like logistical stuff and making sure that you're setting yourself up for success in the months to come. You know, that's a lot of the kind of the back end work that we're doing around bottling runs and more of like the admin stuff, basically. When it comes to actual winemaking, as we're going through and tasting through barrels, we're really just trying to get a... I really get great sense for what this last harvest gave us. Um, if you haven't had a chance to check out our harvest recap episode, it's what we posted last week. Be sure to check out the 2023 harvest recap. I try and go into a lot more detail of what the season gave us, kind of what my expectations are as it is truly, you know, a potential vintage of the decade that we're dealing with from this last harvest. Um, so it really lined it up really well for us as winemakers, which is very, very exciting. But even though Mother Nature did it a solid, we still need to see it through to the finish line. There's still a ton of work that has to be done. And at this stage, even though there's not a lot happening, we still have to quality control. We still have to start making certain cuts for blending decisions, for aging decisions. So if you follow us on any of the social networks, you might have seen over the last couple of weeks, I posted a photo of my just like black skin, like little moleskin, black skin, like notebook thing. And it's just, you know, just, you know, everything that I think about all the barrels that I tasted through in that particular day, very quick, like couple of lines, but you'll even see, like I say, you know, this wine will be good for this, or this wine will be more for this, or this barrel is going in this direction. And all of those things are kind of my cue cards for later on down the line when we start to make blending decisions and bottling decisions of like, okay, here's kind of the base wine for this wine, and here are the things that I can use or that I have at my disposal to enhance that blend. And if you have, you know, say two barrels of Cabernet Franc, you know, all right, I only have 120 gallons. One of those is getting bottled up on its own. The other one's going to be used for blending purposes. So realistically, we only have about 60 gallons of Cab Franc to play with. I need to figure out, okay, what wines might need a little bit of that? And now if something needs 5% Cab Franc, do I have enough volume to actually make that happen? Even in this very early stage of just a couple of months into the aging process, these are the kind of things that are going through our heads of 
how we're kind of align getting this chess game all set and ready for the months to come and the bottling runs to come, you know, in the next 18 months, two years, three years or so. Uh, it's a lot of just double checking your work and making sure things are on the right track. I mean, and part of this quality kind of assurance or quality control is as you're tasting these barrels, kind of what's their status? Um, are they finished with their primary fermentation or are they still a little sweet? We actually have a couple of barrels that are still fermenting. They're moving just slowly but surely and finishing up. Uh, we have the vast majority of them that are done. They're dry and they're actually going through their malactic conversion right now where they're converting that malic acid into lactic acid. Actually, one of those barrels of Cabernet Franc right now, you think of like those oaky, buttery Chardonnays that go through that malactic conversion and you get that diacetyl compound that creates that buttery characteristic. It was interesting trying a red wine that's in the midst of that process and it tastes like butter. You're like, oh, that's going through that ML. That's for sure happening in that barrel. Um, so it's stuff like that, making sure that that conversion is happening for our red wines, that it's inhibited in some of our white wines. Um, for some of those barrels that are kind of our barrel trials and more of our kind of R&D departments, we're tasting through those and making sure and just kind of getting a feel for them. You know, even some of these new barrels, it's going to take them months to really start integrating and showing how they're really going to have an impact on the wine. It's still nice to know kind of where they're at at this point in the process, because if I were to not do that, and then come back next year and do that for the next vintage. And all of a sudden it's super weird and wonky. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what's going on here. But now I'm going to have, in essence, the historical record of what some of these new barrels do for our wines over the course of a couple months, a few months, a year, year and a half, two years, and so on down the line. So even though it looks like, hey, we're just going out to the cellar and drinking a bunch of wine and scribbling down our notes, um, our handwriting, at least mine does, certainly gets a little sloppier as you taste through about 40, 50 barrels or so. Uh, but you're st this is still kind of the stuff that we're putting into our memory banks or into our notes so that we can act accordingly and have a little bit more just knowledge and experience and remember some of these very subtle details that we're working with. That way, there aren't as many surprises as we continue through our journey of making wine vintage in and vintage out. Uh, we really want to make sure that we're prepared for anything and everything because there are so many variables. We can't control all of them. So we want to try and have a grasp on as many as we possibly can so that we can at least be, we might be a little stressed from time to time, but at least we're comfortable with that stress because we know we have the tools and the experience to get through some of those things. So even though it's our off season, even though it's a little bit more mellow around the winery, I mean, all that stuff is being done right now to make sure that we're trying to, to make sure that we are not just trying, but that we are making the best wines that we can from a potential year and that we're setting ourselves up for success with these wines when it comes bottling time down the road. Remember, it's a very, this is, this business is very a do or do not. There is no try because if you try and you mess up a batch, you only had this one chance to get it right. And if you screwed it up, that's a huge problem. So it behooves you as a winemaker to really dive in. And even during these slower points, like get some R&R, &R, get some rest, kick back, relax a little bit, but don't rest on your laurels. Just because 2023 was lined up to be a vintage of the decade doesn't mean it's going to get there on its own. It is a 50-50 split between what happens out in the vineyards and what happens in the cellar once those grapes are harvested. And if you're lazy in the cellar, you're going to take a great wine and you're going to turn it into a not so great wine 
very, very quickly. So during this off season, yeah, it's less pressure. The hours are a little shorter, but there's still a lot going on in the back end to make sure that we are making the best wines we can year in and year out. All right, on to the next one. Uh, so, I, so I saw this question and this is something that I see all the time. Um, doesn't matter what social network you're on. Doesn't matter what winery website you're on. Um, this is an outstanding question and it's a very, it's, it's funny because it's so true and it doesn't make any sense like whatsoever. Um, the question is, why is every photo of a winemaker we see them leaning on a trellis, super well lit as if they have a professional crew with them? And it's because they have a professional crew with them. I like it. That's okay. It's it, they're the most annoying marketing photos, you know, actually the one that's worse. Okay. Cause every, so if you're watching the video here, I'm, I took a step back from my mic for a little bit, but it's basically like, imagine like my mic, like off to my right like towards the wall is basically like the vineyard, right? And you see like a winemaker, you know, like leaning on it or like looking all like kind of like brooding and serious and like, oh, I'm here amongst this amazing vineyard vine, you know, and I lean here because I'm here in the vineyard and I lean on trellises all the time because that's what winemakers do. It's super corny. It's so dumb. The only time we do that is if we're out there with like our vineyard manager and we're just like talking shit, trying to figure some stuff out. And maybe one of us leans up against an end post or something. It's totally unnatural and super fake and just dumb. There's not a we don't go out there and be like, you know what? We should probably take a photo in the vineyard. None of us ask for that. That's purely marketing nonsense. And when it's when it's especially when it's like it's really obnoxious when I mean, as many of you have been out to the winery or seen me fo seen photos of me like during harvest on some of our social media and the way I talk about it, like we're kind of gross. Like, like we, we've got like stained shirts, torn jeans, torn up work boots, hair is a fucking mess. We're all over the place. So to have us like out in this like really staged, like well lit, you know, doctored up, like filtered properly photo is so corny because it's so inauthentic. It's just like, come on, guys. Like, you're better than that. Like, I don't care who you are. Like, you could be any, like, fashion model and it'd be like, hey, just, like, get your hands dirty a little bit, maybe. But the only photo that's, like, worse than that is, like, the, the winemaker. And many of you have seen this. Like, they're kind of kneeling or, like, squatting next to, like, the vine. And they're, like, caressing a bunch of grapes. And they're like, oh, look, I'm holding on to the fruit now. Not, I don't just lean. I touch the fruit sometimes. <laughs> and it's... For whatever reason, I don't know why these photos became trendy or why every single website and social media post of like a winemaker does this. It's the stupidest shit and it's not relatable in any way, shape or form. And it's not something that we would ever do. You know, we go out into the vineyard and we look at the fruit and we like maybe pick a cluster or a grape and we taste it and we like look around and like make sure things are okay. But it's not like, here, let me present this to you. <laughs> in some way shape it's so dumb like it's i i don't know why i don't know why marketers and social media people or whoever's in charge of some of these like do this i mean i just i just don't know i mean if you if you go like onto our own website like the photo of me is like behind like a bin of grapes i got a cup of coffee in my hand my jeans are torn up my hands are dirty like i like i did my hair that day which was kind of nice it looked probably looked similar to what it did now again it was early in the morning so i wasn't too torn up just yet 
But I'm like, that's on it. Like, I'm up early. I got a cup of coffee in my hand. Like, we got grapes here. This is how, this is what happens. And I think Brittany took that photo forever ago. You know, um, I, I honestly, have, like, when I worked in marketing, this is a little bit of a tangent on this question. Um, but when I worked in marketing, you know, for a few years, this was the kind of stuff, and particularly when it came to like social media, and this was, you know, more than a decade ago. So things have changed dramatically, but I don't think they've changed that much. But one of the biggest things that I really tried to drive home, you know, as, a, as someone who worked on a marketing team for m- numerous brands within California, uh, was even if it's a white label brand where we're just buying grapes or bulk juice and packaging it and selling it, or if these are actually vineyards that, we're, that we own and we're farming, is that there has to be some sort of authentic tie that drives engagement. Like it, it, you need to, it needs to be something that's relatable, you know, and, you know, as a winemaker, like, it's like, Hey, leaning on a trellis like that, super well lit and like looking pretty is not relatable. Cause that's not what we do. <laughs> you know, it's just fake. It just is. Um, it looks really nice. It's a great shot. Whoever, you know, did the makeup and the lighting and everything you look, Hey, great job, but it's just not authentic at all whatsoever. Um, so you know, why that the continues to be a trend today, I honestly don't have an answer for you. But why do why does it look like they have a professional crew with them? It's because they do. It's professionally staged. It's like staging a house for sale. It's like your house doesn't look like that. You had someone come in and do that for you because it your house probably looked like my office. If you're watching the video, it's a mess back here. I got like hats and swag back here on top of our wine fridge. I got my geeky posters up against the wall from BlizzCon and Critical Role. I got a couple of flags here from when I went fishing. Another one from Gonzaga because go Zags, basketball season's here. You know, I got my printer right there. I got my little action figures from BlizzCon down there. I got a bag that I carry wine with. I got two lightsabers back there. Like this place is a mess. (laughs) I use it as my home office and studio. But if I were to like stage this and make it look nice it wouldn't be me everything in here is like this mic whether you like it or not this is this is what we do this is what i do um and that's how i think it should be personally like very selfishly that's the way i try and operate because those super staged photos like they look cool and they're nice but they're just it's just bullshit marketing so why is every photo like that when we see a photo of a winemaker it's because they hired some marketing consultant. They were like, we need to do a photo shoot. That's basically why. Um, so they hired professionals and they got it done and it looks super fake and annoying. And that's not how it is at all. Just my two cents. Um, it's, it's kind of hilarious that that's one of the things that came up for this episode because it's just, we see it all the time. You see it all the time. Every, I mean, there's some really cool wineries that do like really great dramatic like photography like of their vineyards and of their cellar. And at least it's like an action happening. It's like the scene that's there, you know, but it's not like someone all dolled up looking super fresh, you know, having the best hair day they've had recently, <laughs> well lit and everything, you know, because you want it to look good. I mean, I've posted plenty of photos that don't look great, plenty of videos that don't look awesome, but it's because I want it to be just honest and like, oh yeah, there's grape juice all over my phone. Let me get a, let me get a video of stuff coming out of the press real quick. It's, it's like off the cuff stuff like that. Um, which I find is far more for me personally, far more entertaining and engaging for me as well as hopefully those of you that follow us on any of our social networks. So 
it's why why people continue to market in that way where they kind of put themselves up on this weird pedestal i couldn't tell you it just it's it's just weird man it's just weird man nah man nah i believe you get your ass kicked doing something like that <laughs> all right on to the next one this is a good one this is a good one. So this 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 may send us down some rabbit holes uh, because I don't think my answer is going to be what some of you would expect. Now, hold on, I got to pause for a quick water break before we get into this real fast. Okay, so what are the biggest challenges facing Napa as we go into the new year? Now, the obvious answer is like, well, we got to wait and see where the growing season goes you know are we gonna have another fire season is it gonna be is there gonna be plenty of rainfall it's actually raining right now as i record this um are we gonna see something that you know kind of continues off of 2023 with like bigger yields um are there gonna be less yields you know there's a lot of kind of variables within just the wine growing process that are going to be challenging no matter what um even in the years like this year where you know mother nature kind of lined it up to knock it down it still had its challenges there were things that you know, we had to deal with on the wine making side and the wine growing side of things that maybe we didn't really expect. And now we're having to pivot and adjust and do everything that we can just to keep things on an even keel. So I'm actually going to kind of bypass those because I think those are that's like the low hanging fruit, pun intended, uh, that's out there. Right. It's those are the challenges we face every single year. They're super common. They happen all the time. There are actually probably three things that come to mind when i read this question there were like three things i'm like these are far more interesting to talk about than just the next growing season if for the wine business specifically um the wine growing and wine making thing like we were we're used to crazy shit happening um go back and listen to our harvest shenanigans episode if you haven't yet they'll tell you it'll give you a great insight into what we deal with and a year-to-year basis and just the madness that goes on. Like we're used to nutty things happening in terms of the wine growing and wine making. But there are a handful of things going on right now uh, within kind of the, you know, behind closed doors within Napa. And some of them are kind of scary, to be honest. So there are two that are at the forefront. Um, The first one, we're not really sure how it's going to shake out. Um, because there's going to be litigation involved and it's going to depend on, you know, how that all shakes down. Um, and it involves Napa County and realistically how stringent and arbitrary they're kind of enforcing what they claim to be their, you know, permitting process and what they believe certain wineries have and certain what certain businesses and wineries and landowners kind of what their rights are or what their rights aren't. Um, if there's a, actually a really great podcast, and, and to be honest, I actually thought about doing an episode out, uh, kind of on this podcast um, because it was fascinating and interesting. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, you know what? They did too damn good of a job. Just go listen to it. So I'll have a link to this uh, in the description. I highly suggest that if you're interested just in kind of the behind the scenes of what goes on in this valley, it's it's an amazing listen um, you, you should be able to find, you can find it on YouTube for sure. That's where I found it. I'm sure it's in other podcast locations. Um, it's called the wine for normal people podcast, and it is episode 502 with Stu Smith. Um, some of you probably know who Stu is. He and his brother, Charlie, um, own Smith Madrone winery up on spring mountain. Um, I've known Stu my entire life. 
Um, he was the leader of our Boy Scout troop. He and his son Sam and I were in the same class growing up. Um, his son Tom and my little brother Garrett are, were in the same class growing up. Like we go way, way back. I've known Stu quite literally my entire life. I've been drinking Smith Madrone wines for an essence my entire life. Um, you know, and he's, I, I describe Stu, and I think he'd appreciate this, is that he's a lot like my dad in the sense he's got opinions. He's going to let you know what they are. And it's up to you to decide whether or not you like him. That's just kind of the reality. He, he's, he does not pull punches. He tells you how it is. And if you don't like it, you better have a better argument because if he will bury you if you don't. <laughs> it's it's kind of it's how he operates. But he's always been, to me, a, a great guy with great insight. And he's been in this valley doing what he does for a very long time. He has an immense amount of experience and knowledge. Um, and he talked with, uh, shoot, I'm completely spacing on the name of the host of the podcast. I think it's Elizabeth. I might be screwing that up. My bad. Um, but they talked about, um, the winery, uh, definition ordinance, the WDO that Napa County came up with in the night in 1990. And more specifically about a case that is now ongoing between Lindsay hoops, uh, and, the and Napa County and the lawsuits that are now involved uh, because of a lot of different reasons that uh, I could literally spend another hour talking about them. So I'm going to encourage you to just go and listen to that podcast. <clears throat> I would also highly encourage you to look up. Um, there's a great article through the San Francisco Chronicle by Jess Lander uh, that was uh, published in August of 2023 uh, featuring uh, Lindsay Hoops and kind of the issues that she's having with Napa County and kind of what's going on, uh, you know, as a part of, you know, just kind of a, you know, an update is like what's going on behind the scenes, you know, with, with this battle that's going on between them. Excuse me real quick. But, oh my gosh, throwing things. Um, but because of this battle with Napa County, and it's something that is going on for more than just Lindsay and, and her goals and aspirations with her property. Um, I know the Bremer family's been going through this, whether you agree with what they're doing or not. Um, there have been a lot of places that have had to do a lot and invest millions of dollars, if not, you know, at least hundreds of thousands into updating their permits, updating their facilities, doing, trying to do everything right and the county still gives them the cold shoulder. Um, and depending on how this litigation actually progresses and what goes on, there are going to be potentially huge ramifications for what wineries can and cannot do within Napa. Um, it's already incredibly restrictive. Um, this winery definition ordinance that was put together in the 1990s, in my humble opinion, needs to be updated. It needs to be changed. There's a lot of things that are very, very different about today's wine business compared to yesterday's wine business when we talk about the 90s and the 2000s. It's a completely different scope now than what it was then. Um, and this is one of the biggest challenges facing Napa is what can we as wineries and as businesses and landowners do and not do. And unfortunately, the county of Napa tends to take, we don't even know what the rules are, to be honest, actually. Like there's, they're super inconsistent. Uh, they're super arbitrary. Um, they don't even follow their own rules or this winery definition ordinance at times. Um, it's a complete quagmire. 
and they are spending, I think over, they're spending close to like a million dollars of taxpayer money trying to fight, you know, small wineries, like what Lindsay's trying to do um, to prevent wineries from doing what they want to do. Uh, even though us small family businesses out here are the ones that are the reason why Napa is the way it is. Um, this is, it's, I don't want to say it's like an existential crisis, but it's pretty damn close. Um, luckily, I think there's a lot of precedents and other things on the sides of us businesses and wineries, but this is, make no mistake, probably the biggest challenge facing Napa in the next few years is getting through this litigation and figuring out what we as wineries can and can't do. Um, the name of the podcast, again, it's the uh, Wine for Normal People podcast, episode 502. The link is in our in the description of this video. Please go check it out. Um, the episode title is, I think, something to the effect of why is Napa County strangling small wineries? And it's literally that. It, it sounds like clickbait, and it's not. It, it's the honest to goodness truth of what's happening here in Napa. And it's super, super unfortunate. Um, again, I could probably talk for another hour about it, but they do a far better job in that episode doing it than I ever will. So I highly encourage you go check it out. Even if you pause this episode right here, right now, go listen to it and then come on back and I'll finish talking about some of the challenges we're facing. But, uh, this is arguably the biggest one. Uh, the second biggest challenge I think in my opinion is figuring out what, kind of tourism and, and visitation to Napa is going to be. Uh, this year, and it's something I've mentioned in a couple shows previously, was a relatively slow year in Napa. Um, you have some wineries that are down in terms of visitation or even sales 30% or more, uh, which is not great. You know, um, Keep in mind that 2021 was probably the best year that everybody's had in this valley, or at least close to it. So you know, if you're down that much from your best year ever, where does that leave you? Probably at still a pretty good year, maybe, depending on what that growth trajectory was looking like into 2021 and in the years leading up to it. Um, but with you know plane flights more expensive than they've probably ever been to get out here, hotel rooms in particular are really screwing people over. Um, you have hotels that are sitting, that are happy sitting at 30% occupancy and charging $800, $1,200 a night because they can. Um, it just doesn't make sense you know, for people to come out here when you can fly to Europe or other parts of the world and be there for a couple of weeks versus five days here in Napa. Um, that's a huge challenge that I think we as cities and the county, not the county as this other issue, but just like the people within it, we need to figure it out. Um, you know, we make, you know, I'm of the opinion that between the restaurants, the wineries here, we create these experiences and these products, whether it's food, wine, other things, for you to enjoy and if you can't come out here to enjoy it then why are we doing this right so i think you know there's a certain kind of i don't know there's, there's a certain kind of like this place got a little big for its britches and everything just kept ratcheting up ratcheting up ratcheting up and now we're starting to see it maybe level out and maybe it's going to take you know an election year where things get wonky anyway in terms of the economy to kind of settle it back down a little bit we'll see um, but that is a huge problem, um, that if we're seeing less people than we ever have, and this continues to be a trend and not just an anomaly of a year, you know, it's a lot of things are going to come to a head. It's going to be very, very challenging for businesses to stay afloat. Um, we see this in downtown St. Helena all the time. The amount of revolving doors of businesses that come through this town is outrageous because we simply don't have 
the permanent population here, it's not big enough to support all them. So we need tourism to support our downtown. It's that simple. And St. Helena has the least amount of rooms available in the county, number one. There's just not that many hotel rooms. And number two, they're not cheap. So there's not a lot of reason to stay in St. Helena if you don't have a room here, you know. And even the rooms are kind of far away from the downtown in some situations. Uh, so whether you're at Harvest Inn or further north at uh, the Alila, I think it now is. And those rooms, especially at the Alila, aren't particularly cheap. So um, that's a big challenge that I think we as kind of the local economy need to figure out and, you know, try and cater to the people that support us and bring you here and, and get you here so you can experience this amazing place for what it is. I think the last thing we want is to, you know, alienate people because we make wine to be enjoyed by people. And if people aren't enjoying it, then it's like, well, what are we doing here? Like I said, so that that's a that's a potential just very big challenge. Now, many of us who have been in the industry a long, long time have seen the dot com bust. We've seen the 08 recession. Uh, we've seen these slow seasons come and go. And one year does not create a trend in any of our opinion. You know, if this continues, you know, this was basically the second half of 2022 into 2023. And if this continues into 2024, you know, once you've got two and a half years going on three years of this, now it's like, okay, like we really might need to sort some things out here. So I think that's kind of where we're at. We're kind of on this precipice of, is this a real problem or is this just a phase? I like to think it's just a phase because I think many of us have seen this come and go before. And realistically, there's something's going to have to give at some point, right? Uh, the third biggest challenge, and this kind of ties into what we were just talking about, is just the cost of doing business out here. Uh, through 2021 and into 2022, basically the last two, three years, you know, we saw our operating costs go up 30%. They're up probably another 10% this year. So call it, you know, 40% in just a very short period of time. Uh, it has not been easy from a cash flow standpoint for a lot of businesses to weather that, which is why you see a lot of people having these down years and really worried about tourism and visitation and wine sales. Uh, it has gotten so outrageously expensive to do business within the wine industry, especially in Napa, where fruits at a premium, lands at a premium, you know, all these things you're paying top dollar for, you know, again, something is going to have to give at some point, at least I think. Um, it's our hope that we don't continue to see costs rising at the rate that they are because I, it's unsustainable. Uh it's going to be very, very challenging to make the wines we want to make at the price points we want to make them at if it continues being this continues being the trend. Um, I think we have seen some of those costs level out a little bit. I don't think we've seen a big jump in terms of, you know, glass and corks and, and labels and things. Not so much, but they still have gone up significantly, especially in the last three years. Uh, fruit costs have gone up significantly, except this year you could find it was a bumper crop year. So we're hoping that helps level it out a little bit. And frankly, Many of us on the winemaking side of things are hoping we have another big year. Uh, that way, great prices continue to get driven down a little bit because there's just an oversupply and not enough demand. Very simple economics there. Um, there's a lot kind of at play, you know, with these challenges and the cost of doing business and visiting Napa and what the hell is going to happen on like the legal, like permitting side of things. Um, there are a lot of really big questions potentially facing Napa and 
I don't think any of us necessarily have the answers just yet. You know, we're kind of in the hold on to your butt mode and let's see how this all shakes out. It's going to be very, very interesting. Uh, and I'll tell you what, though, we're here for it. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. We're going to keep trudging out. We've worked, many of us in this industry have worked too damn hard to do what we do and have, frankly, too much fun doing it to go down without a fight. So we'll be around for it. On that note, that'll conclude. We are right up against it. So that'll conclude our last podcast of 2023, the December Q&A. Thank you all so, so much uh, for the outstanding support. Um, Sharing, liking, subscribing to the podcast has just been outrageously great. Um, The fact that in, what, seven or eight months or whatever it was, we crossed the thousand download mark and we've seen the episodes kind of spread around the ether of the internet has just been outstanding. Um, the support's been amazing. Uh, in the new year, we have so many new fun things. We're going to start incorporating guests uh, into the show uh, here and there. I want to try and do that at least once a month. We're still going to try and post an episode a week. Um, please make sure you subscribe to our social networks as well. Again, Instagram, the Book of Face, and the network formerly known as Twitter all at MTGA Wines for more regular updates. And of course, uh, the podcast, wherever you consume your podcast, specifically Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, you can also check out our RSS feed. YouTube also has it posted if you want to see me dance around in the video uh, here in my home office. So thank you all so, so much for the support over the last year. Uh, we literally could not do this or any of the things we want to do on the wine side of things without you. Uh, it means the absolute world. I hope that you all have an absolutely outstanding finish to 2023. And we will see you on the Wind Up podcast here in the new year.